Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In our society, most people are content to go through their daily lives safely and peacefully. But our society is not always safe or peaceful. For that reason... Some men and women answer a higher calling to defend and protect their fellow man. You probably know someone who is one of these people, or maybe you are one of these people. The ones who see and do the things most people would never want to. These things are sometimes heroic and beautiful, but often they are horrific and terrifying. It's these things they don't share about with other people. It's these things they carry with them, so you don't have to. But when they get together, they talk to each other about them. And they call these stories War Stories. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck with COVID. <laughs> Chuck Bid. <laughs> you hey dude, you know, I, I've already told you I'm a COVID survivor, you know, so now you can join us. We get we're gonna get like t shirts, we're gonna get a ribbon. Our own ribbon. Yeah. yeah COVID I mean, survivor. I've survived the or, or the OG version. Um yeah. Where I couldn't walk upstairs and I, I felt like an obese piece of shit because I couldn't yeah. get upstairs without yeah. dying. But this one's totally different. And uh, it's, all, it's, it's, you have mega, it's like right? a flu. You have, I got the Moronicon, Moronicon virus, Necronomicon, whatever the, Dude. whatever generation we're on. Body aches, bro. Body aches and shit. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. like the stomach flu just lasts for like three days. Well, like, like our last episode where I was very excited, uh, to have, uh, our friend back um, or when I had our friend back and then our last ep- our last episode with the corner, I was very excited because I like the corner stories. This one, I'm excited again because I have a friend back. What's up, Adam? Hey, Tom, how are you? <laughs> <I'm> good. <laughs> um, for those of you uh, who have listened to the show for a long time, Adam has been on the podcast before. Adam, Adam's show fucked me up. Uh, Adam and I worked patrol together and then Adam went to a different agency and he came on and told the story about, uh, the time he took uh, four rounds from a 357. And uh, I will be honest, that was the first time I'd heard that dispatch audio. And it it, uh, it was hard listening to it when we were recording the show. It was even harder listening to it when I was editing the show. But uh, you've uh, you've been on since. You're a friend of the show. So how's it been? How's everything going? Man, life is really good right now. I'm living yeah. in Idaho. So <laughs> I'm out of California, right? I'm out of California. I, I don't work for Visalia PD anymore. And uh, yeah, I'm not afraid to say the PD anymore. So um, right. I, I cherish what my are they going to do there. to you? <laughs> right. But I, I did. I cherish my time there. And um, I still have a good handful of friends there. And uh, but I'm glad to be where I'm at now. Yeah. I, I felt that same way where it was like, I didn't want to trash the PD because there was a lot of good people there at the PD. Um, but I was more than happy to trash the city and the administration. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's all, it's all run by people. Right. And it's right. not, it's not necessarily um, uh, the organization as a whole. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you brought uh, you brought a good friend of yours who uh, also had a storied career in law enforcement. Sean, how are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks I always I always like having uh, people that have worked together or known each other through work because <clears throat> it create you know it's a small 
uh, small community anyway. I always tell the story about how Chuck and I met um, was he was he was coming in to record an episode of the show as a friend of mine who uh, had just finished recording an episode of the show was leaving. And when they passed in the hallway, they realized they had worked at the same station at the same agency. Oh, wow. And and I'd never met Chuck and Chuck and and my, my other co-host at the time had never met the the other guests. So it was just, it's all such a small world. So it always makes for better stories because then it, it stirs all our memories and, and uh, we start to get a little competitive with trying to wedding well, up. Well, each Tom, other. can I, Tom, can I say full disclosure? So Sean and I worked together in neighboring agencies about ten miles apart for right. years, and we knew of each other. I don't know that we ever actually. And I know I went to Tulare PD, and I did some things over there, and we did mutual aid stuff. But I don't know that we ever worked specifically together we just knew of each other and we respected each other's reputation so it was, it was more of that and then we came here and yeah, ever, you know, everyone knows system. adam so it's hard not to <laughs> not know adam so. that's only because yeah. i got shot man <laughs> <laughs> there's other reasons <laughs> we won't gun. talk about them but there's other yeah. reasons but yeah our agencies <laughs> are so close our towns are so close i mean you can almost throw a rock and hit the next town but um so i knew of adam but didn't really uh, know him personally but um ended up now we work together in real estate and it's it's been awesome so i i could safely say that i uh i helped get them out of california <laughs> yes, yes and, you did. and and on to his next career phase yeah exactly. so that's good which which we'll talk about that i actually want to get into that that you guys plug that at the end of the show because you guys are doing some cool stuff together outside of law enforcement now mm-hmm. um, yeah, and fun. it ties into something that i was actually i was hesitant to announce it but screw it we're we're on the podcast. I might as well talk about my, my outside stuff that I got going is, is to help people like Adam to get outside of law enforcement. So anyway, uh, today, why don't you, Sean, tell us, why don't you tell us today, like how you got into law enforcement? Cause that's kind of how we start everybody off is just what brought them to the job. What brought them to the yeah. military? What brought them to firefighting? So, you know, well, it's tell us. funny. Yeah, for sure. What's funny is, is um, I was uh, right out of high school as a farmer and I just, um, I knew that I was interested in two things, real estate and law enforcement. I just, because you, you know, you know, somebody in law enforcement, I always thought that was such a cool career. Um, didn't expect farming to go bad. So when <laughs> farming went bad, I was a tree fruit farmer, had a partner and partnership, unfortunately fell apart and Next thing you know, I had to choose a career, had a house and family and kids, three daughters and had to do something. So um, back then, real estate was about a year and a half of college courses or at least a a semester and a half or two, three semesters. So law enforcement was a six month academy. So I uh, had a neighbor, which I will say my neighbor was Jason Salazar, who is a vice PD cop at the time was an agent. And um, knew him pretty good back then. He was pretty pretty cool guy, and he'd take me on ride-alongs all the time. So it really sucked me in. And next thing you know, it I'm in a six-month academy and had to rent our house out and live with family. It was it was a horrible time starting over at 27 years old, um, young. But yeah. I had three daughters, little little young. I, daughters. I was going to say you did. I mean, depending yeah. on you were not a like young 27. You were a mm-hmm. very well into your life 27. Yeah. Yeah, we had, 27. I, yeah, you farming and farming. That's some sure. hard I shit. 
Yeah, great couple of years in farming. Had a nice Wait, and I want to back back the audience up. Yes, there is farmland in California. It is beautiful is. and fertile, <laughs> and there are actual farmers. The entire yeah. middle section of California, above the desert, below the pine trees, is farmland, yep. and it's very fertile mm. and beautiful farmland. It just still yep. happens that it's surrounded by a bunch of assholes. That's right. Sad Modesto. <laughs> if it wasn't, wasn't for all that crappy smog flowing into that beautiful area, it would be just as nice as Idaho. Might even yeah. be better. Who knows? Well, the beautiful mountain I mean, surrounding. Yeah. Well, not let's a, not go too far. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, Idaho's too pretty crazy. awesome. <laughs> it's like uh, crazy. Uh, uh, so, yeah. anyway, so you ended up transitioning. Was it really, did it really just come down to a six month academy versus an 18 month college course? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, that's what it came down to. I had to have a job and, and that's how serious it was when I was, um, um, that's how serious it was when I was, so you remember Adam talked about kids, um, go out, go, sorry, <laughs> go speaking out. of children, <laughs> uh, speaking of children, um, out anyway. Um, so yeah, so with these kids, with everything going on, I had to have a job. So, uh, there's no way I could get past six months. So I did the intensive course, got through it quick. Um, ended up getting badged by the sheriff's department right out of the academy. That was the only place I could, I mean, any place. I applied everywhere by CWPD. Did you sponsor yourself through the academy? I did. Yep. Okay. So I can, I can attest to that because I did the same thing. You take the first badge Mm -hmm. they offer you. First badge. Yep. (laughs) Give me a badge. Let's get back to work. Do you have a first lady paycheck in it? Because I'll believe anything you say. Exactly. You must have been pretty, pretty like well off in the academy because I've known a lot of guys who have paid their way through their academy, but only half of the class gets picked and the other half doesn't. And then they spend the next year because they're year certified. If they don't picked up by an agency within a year, they got to do it all mm-hmm. over again. I can yeah. tell you yeah. from my experience, and I'll let Sean speak to his own experience, is that Chuck, in for me, it was clear from about the second week who was going to get picked up and who wasn't. You know what? You can you can see who the rocks are and who aren't the rocks real quick. <clears throat> real. Fun. I mean, I don't know if it was. Way, are, you, are you saying Tom's a rocker? <laughs> no, he got picked up. Obviously, <laughs> like you can you can tell the people who are going to be good cops. And you can tell the people who are just going to skate by. He loves. Like, I don't want to work with that yeah. dude. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it was it was definitely. Uh, there's nothing. I've got to have a job when we when I get out of here. So I did everything I could, kept my nose clean, did everything I was supposed to do, and there's definitely a lot of screw offs in there that should not have even been in the academy. But um, I just couldn't understand Great. just young young punks and and uh, I was a 27 year old. I was young, but not like half of them. Some of them were barely 21 years old going to the academy, and just yeah, I, I had to get through. And you I had a bearing and you had life experience and you had a lot of other things that 21 year old kids don't mm-hmm. get because they haven't spent the last six years farming and raising a family. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, honestly, I, I will say that granted everyone is different, but it, I, 21 is too young. Like I know that's kind of the standard for most departments. And I used oh, to think, okay. why do you have to be over 21 to be a cop? It's too young. Maybe yeah. an apprenticeship program where you start somewhere at twenty, it, it, you know, at twenty or eighteen or something, or maybe you go into college, you get a, you know, a major in something other than criminal fucking justice, because let's face it, they're going to teach you that on the job, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you <laughs> get out at twenty-two <laughs> and you go into a program where you're like, like even the sheriff's department where they make you work in the jail for a while or something. Yeah. But but even before that, just, they have a work apprentice program. 
Yeah, but but I just I I realize now like like twenty five. I realize also now why they said if you're married and you have kids, you're a lot more attractive as an applicant to a police agency than some twenty one year old guy hot who's you know single and ready to mingle. I I completely yeah. understand now. Yeah, definitely yeah. makes sense. Don, how long did she work for the sheriff's department? I did 11 months, right around uh, nine, 10 months. I was told I was going to be there for six years in the jails. And I said, oh heck no. Oh. They put me in this unit called pretrial. And it was just me and these drug dry up state housed units. It was, it was a, a contracted for the state drug dry up all day long, open, you know, open um, walking around me all day long, uh, programming around me all day long. They called it. And um yeah, it was the worst experience. I was okay when I was uh, on the other side and were uh, you know hanging out with the Norteños and Serenios. But uh, when it came, <laughs> like to I get those people. Track, yeah, I get, I get them. I understand. I understand uh, yeah. They have a code. <laughs> they have a code. I mean, I, I actually enjoyed the Norteño unit because they they truly did for the most part respect law enforcement. They were required. They they're, yeah, they're part upper of their hand required them. Yeah. So I learned a lot about it over there. But once I got over there in that drug draft unit, it was kicking and screaming. And back then, a good friend of ours, um, uh, Jeremy Jones and Trishon Jackson, got in a, a really bad shootout. Um, right after that, the city, um, you know, both of them nearly died. And hey, Sean, uh, tell, tell them just a brief, tell them a brief story about that. Because that, that okay. that, that's what got me really, you know, passionate about, you know, officer safety and doing the right yeah. things and that, that that's a good that's a good little story i know you could do a full oh. hour on that but yeah and that'll and lead right into a question we have from a listener yeah Perfect. totally yeah we I, have two I questions we want to get you guys a, a thought on totally i wasn't there at the time so i was at the sheriff's office but i did hear all about it because you know we're all everyone in law enforcement right. heard about it and it was a um a total uh total setup thing it was a traffic stop jeremy jones was on fto trishan was the fto officer uh pulled over uh regular traffic stop car they both get out um they, they're the barbosa brothers uh, one was in the back seat with a shotgun um they jumped out i believe they jumped out i'm not sure that whole part of it or how it initiated but um yeah jeremy took a round in the face um trishan took a round in the arm and uh both of them were were uh, were rough, really bad, really rough. I mean, Jeremy lost an eye to this day. He's got a glass eye, and uh, Trishon he ended up going back to work after several months of recovery, recouping. And um, Trishon never went back to work. Ugh. She could never use her arm the same again. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, Jeremy he he went back to work for several years till finally he said enough's enough. I can't do this job anymore. And he he retired. Yeah, yeah Sean was, was, was one of my training officers in the academy for, I remember, I think it was for the physical fitness part. And man, she yeah. was super fit, super strong, just like, yeah. Were you at, were really, you really, really at the with me when this happened or were you already in the Valley when this happened? <sighs> what year was that? Uh, to be honest, I don't, it, it would have been, been 2005 because right after that is when Tulare PD did the big hiring, hired 22 officers. They really rallied around the PD. The whole city did. Yeah. I and I say, got picked up. I got picked up by one of those. So that was 2005. I want to say oh, it happened 2006. right, 2006. right before you got out there. Uh, yeah, you're right. 2006. So I, it happened right before I got out to Visalia. 
So yeah, 2004 to 2005 was at the sheriff's office. And then 2006, I got hired on. Thank goodness with Tulare out of that. Well, we thought we would, uh, since I've got Adam here and and Adam and I got Mm -hmm. stories and you and uh, Sean Mm -hmm. and you and Adam work the same area. You guys will probably have similar stories. Um, I thought we would do a short stories episode. We, our listeners seem to like those, uh, mm-hmm. and they go over really well and we haven't done one in a while. So, uh, first we're going to answer a couple of questions from listeners that they've sent us. And then we're going to start with whoever wants to volunteer. Uh, and you just, you know, a five or 10 minute, you know, patrol stop gone wrong. Uh, you know, the, the a, a WTF moment of, uh, of a, you go into a house and they, you know, they've got an anaconda loose, you know, things like that. So, uh, we'll get into our lightning round. And usually what happens is somebody will tell a story and somebody else will go, Oh my God, that reminds me of the time that such and such happened. Oh, yeah. And it'll just devolve from there. So that's why yeah. the short stories episodes are often really fun. But Chuck has some questions. So oh. I know what one of them is and I'm curious to, to see. Yeah. So. I'm going to bring that one up first. It's basically a listener wrote in and said, Hey, why do I see cops touching the trunks of cars uh, often? Oh, yeah. Um, and then Tom answered it real quick. Um, uh, a portion of it, you know, you, you grab the back of the car in case there's a shooting that happens. That way the officer's fingerprints are on the car. Um, that way they can you know identify the car later as the suspect vehicle and things like that. But there is an aspect of it towards ambushes and, there's been a few incidences in the city of Los Angeles. Um, you can look it up on any Google search or whatever. Um, and I learned this going through um, the Academy and follow on training and things like that, because there was a lot of incidences that have happened in Los Angeles where people have been ambushed by people laying in wait inside of trunks. Mm-hmm. They would crack the trunk and leave it open. And what basically what you're doing is you're pying off the vehicle you're coming up to the vehicle. You're seeing if that one, if that trunk is open and two, pushing it down to make sure it's closed. If that motherfucker is open, because there's been numerous incidents of people having those license plate cameras, but being able to operate them and watching the uh, coppers approach that way they can lay in wait and spring on the officer. As soon as they one come to the trunk, open it up with a sawed off boom, pump around in the chest or some machine gun or a pistol or whatever. Um, and things like that. So, yes, you, you touch the back for fingerprint identification, things like that, if it should go sideways. But it's also a tactic um, that we use in law enforcement to see if the trunk is open, to see if there's anybody in there. If it's open, you're either going to shut it and then you're going to back off and you're going to pull, pull everybody out. Or you're going to, hey, partner, trunk's open and you're going to fucking pie off real quick. He's going to take... Um, a different advantage point and you're going to pie off in a triangle and you're going to pop that trunk and you're going to see who's in there. And if there's someone laying in wait, you engage and you neutralize the threat. It's so there's a bunch of different reasons why it's done. There's a tactic. If you're um, smart, you can do them both at the aspect. same time. You check the trunk and put your fingerprints on it. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a tactic, but for all too often, do you see coppers just coming up and just tapping it? Like what they were told in the academy it's muscle memory to them but they mm-hmm. just tap it they don't really go up to yeah. it I, I always came up to it and i would grab it i would jiggle yeah. it i would see if it was open and i would do it slow at an angle while my partner was keeping eyes on the driver you know that's me as a passenger officer you know a cover officer well you i don't know, know about so. you guys but adam and sean wouldn't you and i I'm, I'm sure chuck has i one of the first things i would do is make sure that gap is right you know, like you take in every little aspect of the car as you're stopping him. You look for broken mirrors, broken windows, you know, 
all that kind of stuff. And one of the things is you're getting out, you look at that trunk, you've got to make sure that gap, if that trunk is cracked, well, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. There's What's funny is, is yeah. there was a Facebook post about that recently. I'm, that's probably, it's all stemming back to that Facebook post yeah, where it showed a guy showing the pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually got sucked into the, because <laughs> all these people were putting such weird, odd, stupid responses. And I said exactly what you just said, uh, Chuck. I typed it. I got sucked into it and I typed it. Next thing you know, it, all these people <laughs> are responding back. Well, that's not true because look at, they're not pushing on the trunk. And I'm like, well, it's a muscle memory. It's thing. a muscle they're memory just, thing. They're, yeah, they're not, you know, they're doing the motion, but they actually screwed up. They should have been pushing on that trunk to make sure it's latched. Yeah. And mm-hmm. It's funny. There's so many responses, but I got sucked into that question. <laughs> and, and basically it's, we work, a, we're the agency that I work at. You work a partner, partner team. Um, there's times where you're in an L car where you're by yourself, but for the most part, we train in partner tactics. So it's like, it depends on each partner and, and how well you know that partner and things like that, where, Hey, we're, for this, we're going to do it this way. For this, we're going to do it this way. And after years of working with one another, you you kind of have it down pat um, where you're trying to maximize your safety with working with one another. And it, you know, you can either push on it or you can hold it like a, this feels jiggly, get to a good location, tell that driver to put his hands at the fucking window. We're going to pop this trunk real quick right. and you do it or you hold it, you hold the trunk like we do in vehicle stops where you'll see cops with a felony felony stop and you'll see one holding a trunk while, while they're clearing the rest of the car. And then you clear that trunk last. So it, it kind of depends on, on the tactics you've been trained trained up on and things like that. But if you ever see a copper, you're like, well, they cleared the car. Why do I see someone holding that trunk? Especially in major metropolitan areas that have been trained on, you know, partner tactics and things like that. Well, they're because we don't know. There's an unknown. It hasn't been. And a lot of the new cars have a trunk popping handle inside them. So it doesn't matter that the trunk is closed, like that they can still unlatch it from the inside. So I hope that explains that question. What is our second question? So, second question is basically like time on the job. Um, It's right here. Howdy, got a question for you. Been a Leo since 2013. I've seen and done things, but not nearly what other officers have. So knowing what you know now at the end of your careers, would you rather have worked at a slower post that don't see as much death and destruction? Or are you glad you worked at fast paced, high call volume spots instead? You gained more experience, but lost to sleep. Thanks. Um, Higher volume. I'll dive in first. Um, no matter what you do, you're going to lose sleep. You're going to see crazy shit. That's going to cause you to lose sleep over. You're going to see someone die in your arms. You're going to see a kid all fucked up, dead. You're going to see any number of things. My personal, uh, my personal thought on this and experience is I would rather work at a higher call volume, a higher paced area to get my experience down. And so that within five years, I have done and seen everything under the sun where I feel more comfortable going and training other people or going to calls by myself. I feel like I'm a more well-rounded officer because I have seen and done things that other people haven't done. I've had the volume of calls. I've, I've, I've dealt with 30 calls in a day. I've dealt with 25 calls in a day. I've dealt with numerous shootings and stabbings in one night. I've done it. I, it makes me more comfortable to one officer safety to train other people to two, make sure that my partner and I have our shit locked straight and I feel that it is imperative to to have that experience early on um, because it just is the building blocks 
to further your career down the road, as opposed to someone who's worked in an agency who maybe gets two calls a day, you know, every day, three calls a day, maybe five if it's busy. By the time you have five years on, I've done more in one year than you've done in in your five-year career. I've done more in five years than you, you'll do in your, your whole career. I look at it as I think that the experience is, is, is much better. And I think that having a higher call volume is, is more uh, crucial to officer development and officer safety. Adam, you've worked at two very different size agencies. Yeah. Um, Atascadero was, was that agency where, you know, it, it would be January and you'd tap the mic and you'd actually click it and it, just to see if it was actually working, if there were people working, you know, is the radio still working? Yeah. Yeah. We're still here. There's just no calls. You'd have, you'd go a whole night without calls. And that yeah. was unusual. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. On, well, it would get freezing cold. And a yes. lot of times 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, they'd roll up the sidewalks. And, and I, you know, and I am grateful. That was it? I'm grateful that we had the crew that we did. We had a sergeant that came from LA or the LA area that said, no, 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 that doesn't mean our job is over. Let's go drone up some business. There's people out there committing crimes. There's people out there doing bad business. So, you know, we got to learn that way. But when I, when I went to Visalia, I mean, it was a rude awakening for a cop that was working on the coast. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is just like Chuck said, it's, we went from stabbing to shooting to stabbing to, to this. And, and I loved it, but, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's exactly where you get the experience that you need to train other officers. And I, and I wouldn't trade it for the yeah. world. Has it caused some problems in my life? Absolutely. But it's also given me, you know, uh, the ability to handle things uh, the way I'm supposed to in today's day and age. So. Well, first. So I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback real quick on what what Adam said. Um, <clears throat> I think that you know, you know, he went from one agency that was a little bit slower, then went to you know the the faster pace, and he, that shit was fun. And you're like, whoa, this is crazy. It's a different dynamic. I think that when you have that fast pace, you know, crime after crime after crime, shooting after shooting after shooting, you're talking to all these different suspects makes you such a good officer for when it is time to do observational work, when it is time to turn those stones and those rocks to find drug addicts, to find guns, to find, you know, criminals and gangsters and stuff like that. It makes you a more well-rounded cop because one, you know how to talk to the, the suspects and the criminals Two, you know what to look for, for shady behavior, you know, what crime looks like. And now you have all those skills to fall back on when it comes time to do OBS work. And I think when Sean coming from the jails, that's imperative too. You learn how to talk to suspects like that. Well, yeah, they bring them to you. Right. They're constantly totally. talking to them every day. And that's, that's invaluable. That something that I never had a chance to do because right. I wasn't a sheriff. A higher call volume will generate the exposure similar to how a jail will, right, Sean? I mean, a jail really yeah. does generate a lot of exposure to shitheads. Yeah, and we're constantly going around and, and talking to different people and trying to get them to talk to us. You're learning how to deal with them, how to get them to talk and be your DI, whatever you need to do. And whenever I worked on the streets in Tularia, I constantly felt like I wasn't doing enough. Like I was constantly trying to rattle, you know, rattle bushes, make things happen, get things moving around and, and doing stuff, you know, trying to whip around and do a traffic stop on a car that looked crazy. 
constantly trying to do something. If I had an agency that was, if I didn't have that and I had an agency that was, you know, say a Tascadero, I can't imagine being doing that for your entire career or, or even ever getting a chance to learn anything. Well, I mean, and I'll say this at a Tascadero, one of the things that, um, I got exposed to and Adam got exposed to, which I can speak to is because you don't have specialized units. When a call comes out, you handle it from start to finish. So you really do get at smaller agencies, a level of experience handling things like further along in your investigation than you would at a larger agency where you go and you take the face page and you bounce and you turn it over to detectives, you turn it over to narcotics, you turn it over. Yes. So you do get a chance to be a more complete police officer working the streets. But again, you have more time to do that, right? Yeah. You, you, the trade-off is they expect you to do that, but they also <laughs> have more time for you to do that. Um, and then the other issue is if something comes out, like a radio call comes out, you know, when there's only four people working, there's a one in four chance you're going to get it, <laughs> yeah. you know? So the <laughs> odds of it being you, I think, increase exponentially yeah. because there's less cops working. However, what is, I, I can speak to having worked, you know, narcotics where it's really, really busy. And then having worked Tascadero where patrol can have months of very slow, cold periods, um, busy is better. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's better for me. It's better for like, it's better to be going, 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 going. And I think it gives you less time to reflect on how horrible what just happened to you was. It mm -hmm. gives you less time to internalize it. You see more of it, but you internalize less of it. If that makes sense. Yeah. You're too busy to, you're too busy to really give a shit about it. And you move, maybe there's one that sticks out, but I think you're able to desensitize a little bit more readily um, now, whether you hang on to it when you get home at night or whether you, you know, take it off and reconnect with your family, that's up to you and how you deal with your home life. But as far as being at work goes, I can only imagine a cop who spends hours and hours and hours not ready, not mentally prepared, not in that zone. And then they finally do get this traumatic child call and it, and then they have another four hours of nothing to do but see that dead kid's face. Yeah. They, they're going to internalize that one call. Whereas if you see five dead kids in a night, it, it, right, wrong, or indifferent, it becomes a little bit more like you just stay in that place and you don't fall into it a little bit more. I don't know, again, that's all a trade-off, I guess. Yeah. I ended yeah. up all my years over at Tulare, and then I ended up medically retiring with a hip replacement, and I, but I wasn't done. So I went to the DA's office. What was neat was when I went to the DA's office, I was working rule crime, not rule crimes. What was I working? Yeah, I did some, I did rule crimes. I did uh, welfare fraud. I was able to make things happen, write search warrants, do things in there that those people in, in welfare fraud had never seen right. an investigator do before. Right. And all that stuff was just normal for me because it's what we did at the PD. We wrote search warrants. We, we met with judges. We did everything we needed to do, but they didn't do that stuff. Right. So I got a, a chance right. to flip it a little bit and see what it's like to slow down after like Adam did. But a big agency, like, like I know some big agencies where I went and talked to them and I said, you know, I'd go to a training class. I'd sit down with them. We'd have some freaking road sodas. And, uh, I, they'd say, oh yeah, you know, you get the sergeant to bless the arrest and then you take them. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you do what now? And they go, yeah, you get the sergeant to bless the arrest. And I go, what is that? And they say, well, anytime you want to arrest somebody, 
you call a supervisor out, explain your probable cause, and then they can say, yes, you, that's a good arrest. And they sign off on your arrest. And I go, do you know what happened to me at my agency? If I called the sergeant out to explain to him why I was arresting somebody and they said, what? And I said, I'd get fucking fired. <laughs> so it's saying if you can't do your own job, why did we hire you? <laughs> so it's so razz to the end of your career, right? It's yeah. such a contrast. Well, they, trained, they trained us. They trained us that way. It's like make you yeah. make the decision. Yeah. Why do you need me? Why do, yeah. yeah, you're a cop. So I agree with that so fucking much. Like, why do I need a supervisor to bless my arrest? But working at a bigger agency where there's so many more lawsuits and litigations and bullshit, <laughs> they do it for CYA purposes. Oh, of course they do. Sure. Fall I'm back sure. on like a sergeant or a lieutenant. That same agency, that same agency that, that said that uh, they had to bless their arrests is also the one that uh, I, I will not mention their name. Okay. But their initials are LAPD. And <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this was the same, over here. this was the same agency where when I went to their defensive tactics instructing school oh, and God. I was talking about defensive tactics, I had one of their DT instructors tell me, he goes, yeah, I've been in the risk management meetings where I've heard bean counters actually say we'd rather a cop get hurt and have to medically retire than pay out a lawsuit to a suspect because we injured wow. him during an arrest. Dude, it's wow. cheaper. It probably ends up being cheaper. That's yeah. so it's cheaper. It's so fucking true, dude. I'm I, it's so true. I've been present right. for that conversation. I went, oh my god, that's that's like that you just said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> Bigger agencies, like and he's like, ah, fuck it, whatever. He's not even associated. he's like, no, that's what that's they think. Agency. So bigger agencies would rather wipe their hands of that bullshit than have to deal with the harder stuff than dealing with suspects and shit like that, with lawsuits and actually taking care of their officers. You know, they'd rather just be like, you're good. Slap a bandaid on it. Get back the fuck out there. You're fine. Don't mm. be a pussy. Mm. You know, but that's it's so like lots of bigger agencies have such big morale problems where I'm assuming where all three of you guys worked had probably great morale. Morale was fucking through the no. roof. No, no, <laughs> no. The morale just it's it's based on the people you work with. I think no matter where you go, really, it's because I mean, admin. I've we have interviewed enough cops in the show to know that admin sucks balls and is trying to stab you in the back at any fucking agency you go to, no matter where you go, no matter whether it says PD, SO, SD, University PD, School P. They're you know it's the giant navy blue and or green weenie that's. It's out to get you in the back, which, you know, it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, It just depends on if your agency takes pleasure in it or not. (laughs) They're all going to do it to you. They're all going to stick it in you. The question is, did they actually enjoy it? Now, Adam, I have to ask you this. Do you remember the call? Because it's short stories and I know we're going into them. So I wanted to ask you if you remember the call where we were chasing that uh, the the. I think it was a beer run and Brownie's chasing the, the guy on the beer run. And the guy goes over the fence in the backyard and Brownie, cause he'd played fricking football in high school. He just stiff armed the fence and went through it to catch him. Yeah. You know, this is in, in the funny thing is Sean Cardoza <laughs> knows Aaron Brown too. Cause of, oh. Uh, his, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. Oh, okay. But, um, Aaron, he had ungodly strength, man. It's like, 
each each of his legs were like rhinoceros legs and when yeah. he just he just stuck his arm out the guy went over the fence and he just pushed basically pushed through the fence like it was cardboard like i, I know he was fat i know seen. aaron was fat he had a belt size that was like his dad was but big. he but dude but, he but i don't fat. understand yes i was just about to say i don't understand for a man of such a girth how he was that quick and agile <laughs> fucked up man. and strong no no, no it's not <laughs> fucked up because i i asked him that and he do you remember when he when he lost weight he lost all that weight yeah. and it looked weird yeah. on him it just yeah. looked gross on him yeah, i know he, i wanted like him to get it back and he did, and oh he God. looks great now, and you know all that stuff. But I just, I was, I remember, like I was a young copper, and we were all working together. It was like graveyard weekend nights, summer freaking. It was like, we, and we were all in our mid twenties, and I just remember we were in that little area off of that main stretch of town, and there yeah. there was a residential neighborhood, and I just remember yeah, we, we chased just, that beer line like. Beer run like it was a freaking like it was, oh yeah <laughs> 211 with a gun man. <laughs> because we were young and it was fun right yeah, and it's like it's a bad guy chase the same but i will just i just wanted to ask if you even remember when brownie because that was the first time i'd ever seen that and he oh, yeah he went through that fence like like i'd seen that Wiley a couple coyote yeah oh. i've seen that a couple times with him he's there, the there was a well you know we used to live together yes i do know we that. worked there yes. and there was a time i was remember working. i used to just come over and, and I think out. you called you called yeah of course he, he called me you called me one time and said dude he got in the longest foot chase it was like 45 minutes I'm like brownie did you're right and he, <laughs> like when I went home and I saw him like I he was on the the barking lounger laying like like this and he wouldn't see, move but he looked he looked like a zombie on the couch just beat red sweating and that was three hours after yeah he had got off work and I'm like are you okay he's like I'm just really tired. <laughs> but, but this is the thing with Brownie. I, I had a, I have an immense amount of respect for him. Oh, hell yeah. He never, ever quit. No. Like, he was never going to lose a fight. He was never going to give up on chasing somebody. No. I, dude, I just. Well, okay. Uh, there was it. one time. There was one time. And I'll tell you the story right now. Brownie, I'm going to dime you off. And I love you, brother. I'm going to tell you about the time you couldn't do the job. So, Brownie gets dispatched to the south end of town. And actually, that's not true. Bradley ended up doing the job because I teased him a little bit. It's dispatched to the South End. And every, listeners of this podcast will know it's it's always bad on the South End, right? Well, this, in fact, no, was it's, in, always what, bad. it's always bad on the South End. Bad. Uh, the, but he was an, it was an injured deer. No. <laughs> so, so Brownie gets dispatched to an injured deer. And for as much as Brownie enjoyed putting the Hurt Locker on bad yeah. guys, he couldn't. He could not. Could he had the hardest, he had hardest time with animals. <laughs> so I get there, and he had shot deer before. He just didn't like it. He, you know, if somebody else got dispatched to it, he wasn't gonna be sad. But if he got dispatched to it, he wasn't gonna try and ask to get out of it, right? So he he handled this business. But in this particular one, I've I've got a, a he's he's on the south end town. I've got a ride along. I roll down there to see what's going on, and. He's about to shoot the deer and I'm like, all right, you know, he asked for clearance to shoot it and then he stops and he goes, oh, God damn it. No. And I'm like, what? And he goes, look, and he points and right, right off of the sidewalk in the empty dirt lot are the two fucking babies like they still have their spots oh, on them. <laughs> they still have their spots on them and they're just looking at him. <laughs> 
and they're just staring at him and not moving. And he's like, I can't fucking do it with them watching. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, what did you, you had to go blindfold them. Well, that's right. that's, so that's the thing. I'm all, you want me to do it? You want me to shoot her? And he's like, no, just hold on. And he goes, shoot, you guys shoot. And he's, he's shooing away the babies. <laughs> and as soon as he got them to run far enough, he got back over to the mom and shot her. And then was like, okay, when they come back, she'll already be dead and they won't see me do it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, That's funny. Make you go chase the babies away. Exactly. Exactly. So I thought, I, I just thought those brownie stories were amazing because those are the kinds of things like working. Everybody works with somebody like that. I'm sure Sean, you probably worked with the guy that was like mm-hmm. the toughest dude with the biggest heart of gold that just like when it came to the, the, the little, maybe you were that guy. I don't know. You're actually, you're, you're on a podcast yeah. with that guy. His name is Sean Cardoza. I was just going to say <laughs> he was, he was, he's called the count. They, they called him the counselor. The counselor. Right, Sean? Yeah. Man, I didn't like drag my feet at calls. I just had a hard time leaving when they still had when they had family issues, you know? I just been like, all right, you know, I don't want to just put a banding on it and go to the next one. Can I say anything or do anything to actually help this family? You know, when it was just a simple domestic 415 or something with family. It's like I felt like I had to leave them with something good. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I was the counselor of the shift there for a while. I shook it off. <laughs> That changed. <laughs> people's personalities don't change because mine did. I changed. Was it the job that did it or was it you deciding? It was. It was. <sighs> Honestly, you know, I think it was probably started in the jails dealing with the gangbangers and stuff, you know. But so you, I, when I was in the academy, the academy director pulled me in and, and did my eval and said, you got to toughen up, man. You're, really? You won't make it out there. So I went from that. To now, um, in you know, real estate, we do a lot of disc profiles and get to know people's personalities and whatnot. And uh, at high D is a very direct person. I got a lot of high D in my personality now, which back then I did not. I was very, very kind of chill, you know, family man, you know, the farmer, family yeah. man. To now, I have, you know, the jails dealing with those gangbangers, really. Yeah, and I can, and I can attest, and I can Didn't attest you? with working with Sean. He's he's very direct. And he's a good, he's a good leader. So. That's funny. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. But I'll tell you what I had a, um, I will say now he is pretty high up in the PD. So I'm not going to say his name because he's still there. Very high up in the PD at Valeri. We'll say very high. Was probably the best <laughs> sergeant I ever had on patrol. I mean, we had the best time ever. Things that there's no way any PD can get away with to this day. Yeah, we did it. Um, we're talking Ouija boards at night next to the, um, you know, at Halloween next to the cemetery, stuff like that. Uh, hand, handwritten, hand drawn out Ouija board. Oh man. I can remember a pursuit that we got into with the 10851 guy and, and we chased this guy all over the place and we finally catch him and we're running up there. We're, we're getting, we're tackling him and whatnot, catching this guy. And the Sergeant walks up props his leg up on top of the guy's back and goes good job guys ever since then his name was captain morgan <laughs> oh, <that's funny. laughs> captain morgan <laughs> he, might be the chief of pol- he might be the chief of police somewhere now i don't know but uh, anyway <laughs> you can't hey you can't get away with that shit now that's for sure no no no, no. My, my, and it's funny how those nicknames just like show up out of nowhere and stick my I, my dad oh, told me a story early on and you know uh our our last name 
is I mean it's been said it's Gandhi, you know, but it rhymes with the the word Gumby, right? Mm. And so this lady comes into it's the LAPD division circa like Adam 12, like the late seventies. She goes, is there a Sergeant Gumby here? And the desk Sergeant was like, Gumby. And that was it. Like like (laughs) one old lady mispronounces my dad's name. And my dad had to change stations to lose the nickname Sergeant Gumby. So (laughs) it's funny how that shit happens. Like, yeah. I mean, shit, Collins, you and I, um, you, well, you and Brownie had the, the Duke brothers, the, the Duke brothers are crash and bash. Are you talking about my, Hey, that's not fair, man. That was my first pursuit. I was a rookie 45 minutes. And I, yeah, they're, they're the, I remember afterwards, after I hit the car a few times and then it crashed in a tree at 40 miles an hour, um, the CHP's like, you meant to hit it right that was uh legal intervention i'm and my and i was like yeah and my sergeant's like no <laughs> no he's an idiot <laughs> you, think, you guys didn't have a pit policy no um, not at that time not at that oh, well if you were pit trained but no i wasn't no. pit trained well so. that's the thing the they, policy they was over, they went over all that so. the policy kind of no, said if you know how to do it we're not going to tell you you can't but we do not encourage but anyone who does not know how to do it to ever it. do it. Yes. Right. Dude, I say the pe- word wording discourage was in there. Picturing that some- pursuit in my head is making me laugh out loud. Right? Oh, oh, no, no, this was that, out in the country. Hills, dirt, like, yeehaw, like oak oh, trees. This was an episode of Duke. That's how they <laughs> got the, the nickname, the Duke boys. Cause it was, yeah. you know, the Tascadero to Templeton in 45 minutes. And I had no idea where I was going on dirt roads. It was horrible. <laughs> that drive, Nothing take, for a, that, that drive takes you 10 minutes, 10 minutes on the freeway. So you can imagine the back roads he took. <laughs> if it took him 45 <laughs> minutes to go yes. from one place. Yeah. I crashed at about minute 43. I think Aaron made it two more minutes. than me. So. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's all right, dude. You didn't hit a lady in the back. You didn't rear end a lady in the back when uh, you were looking for a seatbelt violation going the other way. I did. So, oh, man. <laughs> you know, what's crazy. The story you guys are telling, like if you were to do that now in the current climate, they would hang you out to dry. Yeah. 100%. It, oh, yeah. It's changed like, so much. It would be so bad. You'd be like, look, I was on a dirt road. I hit my brakes. I slid. I hit him shit happens we're in a pursuit yeah but you could have tactics leading up to it like oh okay so i will not name the officer or uh, i will and i okay i'll I'll say this i won't name the agency but their initials are chp uh (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) their policy was if you crashed a car you were suspended period end of story Uh right like if you wrecked a car, you got days off. There was no like negotiating how bad you wrecked the car determined how many days off you got. Right. So I had heard from some guys that had been around for a while that they were able to um, obtain the proper decals for said highway patrol cars. And there was a community stash of said decals for said highway patrol cars right next to a list of phone numbers of body shops that could repair car parts in a night. Oh, shoot. And it became commonplace for you to 
crease a door or ding a fender on your patrol car, then quickly do the math about how much it would cost for one of these overnight car shop places to fix it and decide if it's less than what my day off is going to cost me. I'll just pay it out of pocket. And then you had somebody drive your busted ass car over there, dropped it off, went and picked another car out of the motor pool, went and picked it back up at the, at the end of your shift and had it back in the lot before anybody knew you had fucked it up. Wow. Oh shit. Crazy. Cowboy stuff. Yeah. Yep. That is. I mean, who would have fucked? Good luck doing that. Good luck doing that nowadays with like cameras. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. That was before like, you know, GPS and VIX and, body cams and all that shit funny thing is i said i said a black and white on fire <laughs> you did what <laughs> so it was in the middle of the night we're on a i was working by myself and i assisted a unit on a call <clears throat> and i was like all right well i'm sitting there and i'm controlling traffic and then i go and shoot the shit and i'm like all right guys i'm gonna leave my car died the battery is dog shit it had like ninety eight thousand miles on it the, the car was a piece of shit and it was new, you know, a couple years old, but we just drive the shit out of them. And um, yeah. I was like, Hey, I need a jump. They're like, all right, I got some cables. And the guy brought his personal cables out. And I'm like, all right, cool. Well, it was dark. And I, I went, all right, black to black, red to red. And I'm fucking doing it. Hi. And I go black to black. And he's starting to talk to me. I fucking <clears throat> crossed him on mine. Oh, shoot. oh, and then I was like, all right, hit it. You know, like start that thing up. Like, get my car to start next thing i know we see sparks i'm like oh what the fuck and um, (laughs) the cables caught on fire and started to melt and then they melted into the cars and i was like oh shit and um it's on the battery terminal so i'm like i don't know how to get this shit off without like electrocuting myself and I'm like, even if you turn the car off, you still have volts of the battery. I'm like, fuck it. So I took my uh, my flashlight because it's part plastic and, and part metal. So I took my <laughs> flashlight out and I was like, you know what? I have plastic and metal in here. I hope I don't get fucking shocked. I'm hoping I'm holding the plastic. And I start beating the shit out of this this um, this battery terminal. And finally they pop off and I'm like, thank fucking Christ. And my car is dead. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So we let them cool off. And we pry them out of the cars. Like they had melted the plastic in both black and whites. We pull them off. We put them in a bag. And um, luckily my vehicle started right away. And I was like, Hey, it worked. Fuck it. <laughs> it like it, it works. Their vehicle started. And uh, I had to fill out some paperwork to say, yeah, I did this. It was an accident. It was dark. I, I, I guess I mixed the terminals, you know, black to red, red to black. Yeah. And, uh, I took I took it on my on my sleeves and I was like, fuck it, dude. The roll is heading road to hell is paid with good intentions. No, 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 I didn't get any any trouble. They just uh, every roll call at the beginning of shift, they would bring out the fucking bag and pull out (laughs) the used terminal. (laughs) (laughs) In karma, it's not unlike that fucking vehicle every shift for like the next month and yeah, you know course. it was it because it had these racing stripes down the front of the grill that were just melted plastic oh shit. that's oh, not God. unlike wearing a helmet in briefing or a bag of cookies tom thomas mm, you know, it's, yes it's oh, not unlike that <laughs> the, that was okay i think probably watching uh one of our trainees have to go 10-8 wearing a, a hard hat 
and an orange traffic vest and uh, like knee pads and elbow pads and safety glasses was probably one of the moments where I looked at um, I looked at the other cops and went, how far do we take this? Like, like teasing, like at what what point are we saying we're, we're making ourselves look fucking stupid. (laughs) These are the things we, it's, it's so funny. We look back 20 years, you know, you know, 15, 20 years you can't do that stuff now because you'd get your ass sued because it would be funny at the moment and they would even be laughing. We'd be laughing, but mm-hmm. boom, they, you'd get sued for a million. Oh God. Like, Oh yeah. It, uh, I mean, I mean, there's some of the stuff I wouldn't get. There's sued no for. humor like, in this world. I, there is no humor in this world. <laughs> I, I think if you know your partners, like the dead squirrel that I rigged to the trunk to pop out at the rookie when he opened it, I could still get away with that, right? Like, like mm-hmm. I think if you know your partners, and and you you get to really be a good law enforcement family, you'll you'll figure that out. Yeah. yeah that's Some of the totally other shit though that used to just do sure. to rookies because they were rookies. No, no, you're not. Yeah. No, you, you got to make sure they're part of the crew before you do that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and that's 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 the other thing. Like, don't be that fucking guy. Like my yeah. rule was this. Like, I'll I'll risk my life for any one of my partners, but I won't risk my pension. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, don't be that fucking guy. Like if you get teased, you know, barring, we're not talking about the incidents where like people have been physically harmed. You know, I'm talking about if you just get fucking teased, you get your feelings hurt. If you get like, you know, your car door frozen shut or your ticket book, you know, (laughs) Well, who was the officer on our department that had his jacket taken around town and every night shift had took pictures oh, of every they, dirt bag they, in town? Every bum, every bum in the town. Yeah, we yeah. put it, we grabbed awesome. a jacket. So the, Dude, this, I don't remember that. Oh I know God, who it was. I know who it was. That's hilarious. Tom 22. It was Tom 22's jacket. Oh, my God. You know how I remember how pissed he was. When yes, he was. And he had left it out and people were fucking irritated with him yes. for constantly leaving his shit out. So his, he went on days off and during the three days off, he had night shifts responsibility was to take that jacket to every freaking scumbag, shit bird, drug addict and homeless person in town and take a digital camera photo, take a, take an evidence photo with his evidence camera of them wearing it. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's when cell phone, that's funny (laughs) because that's when cell phones weren't like really, really. Yeah. No, you used his evidence camera because like that was, Yeah. I think that's when I had a flip phone still. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. we all had flip phones still. So I got a razzing that took that turned backwards. It was it was a completely reverse razzing. Oh no that story. Yeah. Yeah. So I was brand new, new, brand new cop, you know, literally probably maybe six, eight months on the shift. First, finally got a chance to take three comp days. And so I uh, I was on patrol. It was gonna take comp day the next day, but nobody knew I was taking comp day the next day except for my sergeant. Um, I was, uh, I had a, I had, prior to transporting someone, I've heard age, I, I heard cops say this over the radio, uh, asking permission to go get fuel prior to transporting. So I'm thinking, okay, new shift, I better make sure I do it right. So I tell the sergeant, Hey, is it code four to, to you know, head out to fuel prior to transporting this guy? And, uh, the sergeant said, negative, push your unit and just totally <laughs> razzing me. Right. And I'm like, I didn't know what to say. And he goes, affirmative and so then i go out and feel everything's fine later on that day the sergeant calls me over and says hey something's gonna happen today you're gonna get some sort of gift full of diapers all right 
and it's your shift screwing with you. All right. They're, they're calling you a baby because you asked for that over the radio. They're calling you a baby for some reason. So this is what you're going to do. It's going to be a crack up. All right. You ready? You're going to just throw that thing down and then you're going to stomp out the door and you're not coming in tomorrow because you have a comp date. And I'm going to play it up the next day and briefing that you quit and you turned in your notice. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, no so way. I go, yes. I go into de- debriefing and I'm ready for it. They hand me this basket and I look at it and, I, and it's full of diapers and different stuff. And I, I threw it down. I go, fuck you guys. And I walked out the door. The sergeant calls me as I'm driving home and he goes, dude, that was the best. They're all freaking out. worked out better than I thought. That was the best. That's awesome. Did any of the guys call you, Sean? Oh, yeah. They're ringing. He goes, whatever you do, man, don't answer the phone. Don't answer the phone. This is funny. One of the officers is a very close friend of mine. And for a week, two weeks, she wouldn't talk to me when she finally found out the truth. Uh, <laughs> her, she went home her her husband was a, a like a he was way up high and she's uh, mad corrections yeah he told her i told you you never screw around on a ship like that i told you this is gonna turn into an ia gonna be in trouble. so she was like yes because her husband like got on her because of this oh, i love that it was, that's it was a great best. story that it is amazing oh, i think that's better than putting a fish that's better than putting a, a dead cat in the engine. You know what I mean? I'll tell you, there's nothing like a good <laughs> patrol ship. Did you put a that dead cat in the engine? Best patrol I, ship. I, I don't know who did that, Tom, but somebody that, could have happened. done that. That's well, happened, happened many times. times. Dead fish. Dead <laughs> so I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what yeah. I, one of the ones I did was, and I, I mentioned this earlier, is I rigged up. We went on a four five nine alarm. And we were checking the perimeter. It's a business. It was like, fine, code for it. Just tell the responsible, come turn it off. <laughs> There's a dead fucking squirrel, like an old, rancid, stiff, dead squirrel <laughs> sitting on the ground. So I grabbed my evidence gloves. I picked it up. I'm like, I, I know there's a use for the dead squirrel. <laughs> so I packed it in evidence back, threw it in my trunk, took it back to the station. And then I looked at the shift roster for the next morning for day shift. And I saw who the rookie was going to be. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. He was one of my explorers. He's now a rookie cop. You know, he's, he's due for some razzing. He's out of FTO. So he's fair game. So I, uh, I parked my car in the, you know, Adam, you'd park in that spot on either side of the back door. So I parked mine there and we had this thing, right? Like if, if you talk to a cop that was going off shift first, you could call, you'd be like, Hey, I'll take your car. And if he said, cool then you didn't have to go through all the rigmarole of, of shotgun and all that stuff. So I made sure that nobody got to talk to me about my car until the rookie did. And the rookie's like, Hey, did you give your car away? I'm like, no. It's like, sure. Can I take it? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I had enough seniority. He was all excited because it was a newer car. This asshole goes to put his war bag in the trunk. And I had rigged it up so that the squirrel was on a wire and inside the evidence bag but the evidence bag was was mounted to the bottom of the trunk and i had measured it so that when he opened the trunk to put his war bag in the wire would pull the squirrel out of the evidence bag and it would flop out of the trunk on the wire and hit him in the face at about eye level <laughs> that's horrible <laughs> That took some precision. Wow. <laughs> so he opens the truck. We're all like hiding back to see what, you know, it, it you know, would have been a great viral video had, had we had cell phone cameras back then. But that's why I'm glad I did all my stupid shit before it was all on tape. Yeah. 
<laughs> Can't get away with that now. Oh God. Well, I appreciate the the short stories, gentlemen. And and uh normally we dedicate our episodes to uh a fallen <laughs> brother or sister officer, but I think in light of NYPD, we we're gonna go ahead. Chuck, you have that information. We're gonna go ahead and dedicate our episode to the officers of the NYPD. So the two officers that were killed by gunfire on January twenty-fifth, twenty twenty. Uh police officer Wilbert Wilbert Mora and Jason Rivera. Get into here real quick. Police officer Wilbert Mora and police officer Jason Riviera were shot and killed when they responded with a third officer to the report of a domestic dispute call in an apartment at 119 West 135th Street in Harlem. When the officers arrived at the apartment about 6.30 p.m., they spoke with the suspect's mother. Officer Riviera and Officer Mora went to the rear of the apartment <clears throat> to interview the suspects while the third officer stayed with the mother. As the officers approached the door to the bedroom the suspect was in, the suspect opened the door and immediately began to fire on the officers, striking Officer Riviera and Officer Mora. The third officer returned fire, killing the suspect. Officer Riviera and Officer Mora were transported to Harlem Hospital in grave condition. Officer Riviera succumbed to his wounds. A short time later, Officer Mora remained on life support for four days until his organs could be donated. Officer Mora had served with the New York uh, City Police Department for four years and was assigned to the 32nd Precinct. He was 27, four years of tour. His badge is 15918. I'll get into um, Jason Riviera. He was age 22. Tour was one year and three months. Badge 25738. Wow, that's too too fucking too young. Too, too fucking young. Yeah. Uh, rest too easy, young. brother. A year and a half from here. A year and a half and four years on the job. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell our listeners if you're not in law enforcement, you're not in the military, and you're not a firefighter. Um, we are all the, those of us that are no longer in the profession, and uh, a lot of them that are in the profession are telling you. The time is coming where there are two sides that are going to ask you to make a choice. Do you want roving bands of gangs, looting stores, setting things on fire, ambushing and shooting police officers and getting immediately released from jail without any bond, without any bail, without any consequences? Or do you want a society where the police have the authority to handle these problems and you don't just have a revolving door of assholes? There is going to come a point where you have to make a decision as to which one you want to live in. I personally do not want to live in a society where an officer with less than two years on the job and an officer with four years on the job take rounds and get ambushed in the NYPD. That's not, that's not, I'm going to, I'm going to draw a hard line in the sand and say, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hard no dog. Yeah. I mean, it's in honestly, people should be asking that question now because it's happening. That's why I, that's major, why I'm asking it now. Yeah. You look at the major metropolitan cities of East Coast, West Coast, and you're seeing this shit. You're seeing these flash mobs come in, destroy million dollar businesses and stealing all their shit on their storefront. You're seeing roving bands of of criminals come in and home invade robbery on places and and then they're you're arresting people and it, it is a revolving door. They get released immediately yeah, yeah very rarely do they get held yeah so. well uh sean adam do you guys have any 
final thoughts as we're closing out. It was pretty fun. Thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, no, this was great. I really appreciate it. I know, I know Adam's got some good stories and uh, I know uh, Sean Adam said you have some good longer stories. So we'll have to have you guys both back on, but the most important thing is I wanted to give you guys a chance to talk about um, you're both Adam more recently than you, Sean, but Sean, I know you're like me. You had to medically retire. Um, there is life after law enforcement and you guys are, I think you talked about it a little bit. Um, you're making that life for yourselves. Tell, tell us about, cause I want some of the people listening to this that are maybe either struggling with my career is coming to an end, whether by choice or by their natural design of age, um, or whether it's by injury, you know, there is life after law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that I saw right away early on in law enforcement was that most of these, I started seeing it literally within second year being in the career, that these officers just retire and live maybe five years, 10 years at the most, and then they die. And it's because they, they're so used to their law enforcement you know, way of life that once they retire, they have nothing else outside of retirement. So I, one thing that I didn't want that, and I knew I was interested in real estate. So I became a realtor while I was still a law enforcement officer and started really helping my friends selling houses. I wanted to have a retirement job so that that didn't happen to me. Right. And I highly suggest if you've got your, if you've got any other interests besides law enforcement, you know, start putting your foot in the door a little bit, starting to do some things. That way you have a job after retirement. I just didn't expect to retire so early <laughs> with a hip replacement. Yeah. You're lucky that, that you took care of that. Yeah. plan so early on so many guys are you know they wait until they're a year or two away from retirement let me tell you as soon as you start like being able to count the years to, to until you retire in mm-hmm. single digits like mm-hmm. when you get like below 10 years till you retire that's when you should start make because you can do things totally. in your professional career you can take assignments you can take professional training you can pursue things that <clears> will <throat> set you up for success in your retirement, but also a lot of these departments have uh, education reimbursement. And so Mm -hmm. if you, if you take advantage of the education reimbursement while you're working, you can get, you know, five or six years worth of schooling done on the city's dime or on partially their dime. And it'll set you up for when you're, when you're done. There you go. Yeah. There's life after retirement. I'll tell you what, you got to set it up. Yeah, and we, absolutely. Uh, it's a cool thing that we get to retire early as law enforcement officers, 55, 50. Yeah. Um, if they started at 21 years old, right. I mean, that that's a pretty neat opportunity. But you got to be prepared for what's after that because you got a long life still left and you want to live a long life. So and there's so much more you can do. Great. So, and the world is yeah. full of cops that have either had a heart attack or eaten their gun within five years of retiring. Don't be it's don't be a problem. fucking statistic. Like, problem. Be original. It, it, well, well, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are. It, it, and to be honest, full disclosure, I, I was the same type of cop, very tied up in the identity of being a cop. Yeah. Well, what else can I be? You know, I don't think I could do anything else. Well, even after cop work, maybe I should do security. Maybe I should do PI. Maybe I should do this. And if if you want to do that, you know, good on you. But a lot of people don't want to do that. Yeah, I swore I would never pick up a gun for somebody else for money again. But they don't want to do that, but they don't know what else to do. And I think you just have to uh, you just have to take that first step and make a decision to do something else. I I actually went back to work after I retired. I did six months as a full time realtor making really good money. I just didn't have any medical at the time. So I took that job at the DA's office only planned on a year ended up doing two years, but I'm the job. My 
career as a long, as a real estate agent, real estate broker, forced me to just say, forget it. I'm done. I'm, I'm doing just fine as a realtor. I have my small, you know, medical retirement. Let's just go full time real estate agent. So I mean, you could start something else, and you may find that that something else might force you to retire early too. So. Yeah. Well, I can say if you're looking for real estate in the Southern Idaho area, DMS, let us know. How, how can people reach out to you guys directly? Yeah, so we're actually in two states, we're actually in three states for the most part. We're in the mm-hmm. state of California. Uh, we have a large team. Uh, we sell roughly 256 properties, I believe, in 2021. Um, so we have a large team in, in California. And then we also have a team that just started about a year and a half ago in Idaho. And Adam and I work together in that team. We have nine agents in Idaho. And then we have one agent in Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee area. And that so area is booming. Yeah. Just like yeah. Idaho, it's going, it's actually going faster. Better, than yeah, right. Right now. Uh, so, I mean, uh, if anyone needs any help buying, selling, investing in real estate in either any time, any place in California, any place in uh, Southern uh, Idaho or Nashville, Tennessee. Um, yeah. We're, we're doing pretty well. And we're, we've got the knowledge at this point. We have about 50 years and combined uh, real estate experience on our team. And the words John, of the great poet Jordan Davis, by dirt, right? Yeah, by dirt. <laughs> John, what's your, what's your, uh, how do they contact you? Yeah, how you? do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so, uh, well, I can uh, say my cell phone number is 559-318-6727 or Sean at Cardoza, that's C-A-R-D-O-Z-A, realestategroup.com. Sean at Cardoza real estate group.com. And you can, you can help people out with Tennessee, California, and uh, Idaho, which if you're in California looking to go to Tennessee or Idaho, you've got somebody who can handle you at both ends, which sounded a lot dirtier than I meant it to. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Anyway, yeah. Appreciate you it. can re- you can find me at uh, adamcollinsrealestate.com if you want to look at my website and it's got all the bells and whistles there for you to contact me yeah. at any time for any reason. Yeah. And so uh if you guys need any of these gen- either of these gentlemen they'll they'll help you out. I know like uh, there's a lot of other cops out there that have been transitioning to some famous blue check TikTok social media cops that are pushing a lot of real estate ventures and stuff now <clears throat> whose names I won't mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, real estate, uh, I mean, I'm in marketing now, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's like, you you don't have to be like, oh, I better go into security or yeah. Okay. You could go into emergency management. Sure. You could go into executive protection, but I didn't want to have to, you know, draw my gun and consider blasting somebody or taking a bullet just for a fucking paycheck anymore. I was done with that. You know, well, I could, yeah, I can go work executive protection. I can go get paid to guard some over bloated, egomaniacal rich person and make them feel better because I can carry a gun while they're walking out to get, you know, ice cream. But eh, you know what? I'm good. I I didn't, I didn't get into the law enforcement profession to guard rich assholes. That's right. So I'll also miss that we're, uh, we're real estate coaches as well. So I'm a real estate coach across the nation and in Canada. And if there's any law enforcement officers out there that are looking and are interested in real estate, um, I would be willing to talk to them as well and tell them the pathway to get there. Would love yeah. to help. Uh, well, there you go. So that's really cool. Like talk I said, I can attest, I can attest to that. I can attest to that because Sean has helped me is continuing to help me. 
Um, and it's, it, it, it's a good career. It's a lot of fun. And if you are in law enforcement and you were a good cop, this is a natural transition. I'm going to be it honest is. with you. It's, it's so, it's super fun. You're just and talking it's, people. And if you like talking car. to people, you're actually talking <laughs> to people that like you right. and want your help. <laughs> right. So you know, there's a big they wave at you with all five fingers. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that when I talk to people and I'm trying to sell them something, regardless if it's something that I own or whatever, they're like, you should, you should sell these things. Like you're really good at it. I'm like, look, dude, I'm like, it's just the way of talking to people. Verbal judo. It's, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's verbal judo. It's, <laughs> Very it's good. no different than talking someone into cuffs, talking yep. someone talking into a police car, something else. You can dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball. <laughs> <laughs> if you can talk to a dirt bag, you can talk to a home buyer. Sometimes the right. dirt bag's easier. Yeah, right. <laughs> I used to, I used to say two ways of helping people in law enforcement. They would either, when you're done helping the, the person, they would either spit at you or flip you off. Right. Yes. In law and real estate, you know, they'll cry on your shoulder in happiness. You help them reach the American dream of owning a home. Such a just a different way of serving. Yeah. yeah. And you decide <laughs> which outcome you want. You could you can pick which outcome. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, I I'd rather have the tears from the grateful housewife. Yeah, there you go. So. <laughs> anyway, well, I thank you gentlemen for coming on. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or iron.